When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One man. Goodbye. Hello, Heisman. 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Transfer portal continues to spin. Bowl season is upon us. And well, sooner rather than later, we're actually going to have playoff games to talk about. Welcome into the Three Technique, a college football podcast at the intersection of the X's and O's and the Jimmies and the Joes. I'm Mitch Mason recording from an undisclosed location along with Trey Reeves and Garrett Turney. Fellas, uh, I'm at the home away from home. The camera is working this week, so no... Mitchell Heisman cyborg, uh, but it's good to, good to be recording with you guys. How's it going? We're going good over here. I, I'm going to miss the Mitchell Heisman cyborg personally, but you know, it's good to see your smiling face as well. Yeah, that's personally my favorite scuffed edit I've done for a, for a picture. So I'm a little a little taken aback that you call it a cyborg. I thought it was a, a fine trophy to be established amongst others, but no, things are great over here. I'm I'm been enjoying the bowl season. You know, been enjoying some of the earlier bowls and excited to keep talking about it with you guys. I tell you what, uh, just final note on the cyborg. Uh, it made my girlfriend laugh when I showed her that. So. <laughs> Um, you've, you've, you've certainly won some people over with that, that monstrosity, that creation. Uh, but yeah, guys, this is going to be just pretty... Mitch's way of saying he has a girlfriend. Yeah. I just wanted to slide that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, take, take for that what you will. Um, this is going to be a pretty casual episode, maybe even on the shorter side as well. Uh, because one of two reasons, one, uh, there's no real newsworthy, items going on that needs like an entire hour-long in-depth breakdown of two you can go find our bowl previews for all the slew of games over on our youtube channel so shameless plug for our socials we are at three tech pod on instagram twitter and youtube the followership continues to climb on all three of those platforms so join the rocket ship come uh, aboard join the three tech family we love interacting with you guys. And I'll tell you what, we keep getting followers over on YouTube and the comments. I, every time I sign into uh, our, our Gmail, which you can email us at 3techpod at gmail.com as well, uh, there are new comments. And, and you guys are really having a fun time discussing our, our takes on playoff contenders, on the Heisman, on our bowl previews, which we've got going on over there as well. We are previewing in video and written format every single one of these bowl games. You guys just pushed out a batch of them that covered, uh, I guess, this past weekend's bowl games. And as you're recording or listening to this recording, we'll have probably most of of this next week's bowl games either on YouTube or uploading them to YouTube as well. So 
yeah, I mean, it's it's been a ton of fun to get to preview these. I'll ask you guys this, and this is actually one of the questions that I, I put the call out on our Instagram and Twitter for uh, from our subscribers. If you had questions, please send them in. We we can use them, especially in these off-season episodes. Do bowl games actually matter for the following season? You, you see so many opt-outs. You see so much chaos and commotion with with the draft coming up, with coaches moving in and out of programs, and teams just mail it in. I mean, right, we saw Florida get housed by Oregon State 30-3 to the other night, and it was like they didn't even show up. They didn't care to be there. So I guess we'll kick off the show here. Do you guys actually think that bowl games matter for, for the momentum for the following season, or is it really just kind of the last thing before everyone goes on vacation? I think they definitely can matter. Now, it, it really just depends on what a program wants to make the bowl game. I mean, we've seen programs in the past, not in the too distant past. I'm thinking Florida after the 2020 COVID year where they just openly stated that we're using this as practice for next year, essentially. We're just trying to get new guys reps. They got blown out by Oklahoma because they didn't play the players that we had seen make Florida what they were that season all season long. So. It really is just what you make of it. It definitely can be something that kind of springboards you into the offseason. Definitely, you know, if you had kind of a down season, it can leave you with a better taste in your mouth if you um, beat another program that's in the same situation as you. Um, It can also leave a really poor taste in your mouth if uh, you had a really good season, but you get blown out in your bowl game. I think they really can matter, but it really is just what these programs are making. So many of them are just so open now about using them as glorified practice. I don't think that those necessarily matter, but was that Cotton Bowl kind of the beginning of the end for Dan Mullen? I think so. I think you could definitely say that, and so maybe he misstepped a little bit in his calculations there. So yeah, just whatever they make of it, it, they don't mean as much as they used to, but you can definitely still take a lot from it. Yeah, and I think it's kind of a sliding scale for, you know, which program is where. So take the Vegas Bowl that we just, you know, saw last night or yesterday. It was Florida coming in and then Oregon State coming in. And those are two very different programs in terms of their history, in terms of maybe more recent success. Um, And so, you know, Florida coming in, it's a year one under a coach. But just a couple of years ago in the SEC title game, you know, they have multiple championships under their belt and their history. Whereas with Oregon State, maybe not as much of a, a glorified history there. And so I think it means different things for those two teams, right? For Florida, you kind of don't want to be there. If you're, uh, I think it was Princely, man, man, he really didn't want to be there. He, I don't know if y'all saw that rep going out on Twitter where he kind of just brutal. went up and put on barely the touched the guy. No, you don't want that one on there. And that's the only play that I've seen circulated from that entire game. So, you know, that, that's not maybe where you want to be if you're him, but you know, I think for Florida, they maybe are more likely to not care about the Las Vegas Bowl, right? And that's no shade on the Las Vegas Bowl, but I don't think that they care as much about a name like that, as opposed to an Oregon State team where, you know, they can come in and say, we're playing an SEC juggernaut, even though Florida wasn't really that good, but they have the name. And so they can kind of take that into the offseason and maybe use that in the transfer portal, use it to recruit kids, use that as an opportunity to say, hey, look at where we're going as a program. So I think it's just kind of what different teams want to make of the game, right? For, for you know, let's say that Florida flips the entire script. It's a 30-3 to win over Oregon State. That's probably not going to get too many headlines, right? That's probably not going to get too many people's attention. Whereas we're looking at Oregon State today with a little bit more of a positive light saying, 
oh, look at them. They might be building something up there in the north, uh, the northwest uh, and just kind of putting something together. And, you know, we might see what ends up happening. And and so I think that it kind of just depends on where the different programs are right? for a, for a Louisville, Cincinnati and the Fenway Bowl. Well, Cincinnati wasn't going to play for too much there. They're, they're recently in the playoff, whereas Louisville, you know, they're they're kind of coming up and maybe building something, had a disappointing year, but they can finish it off strong. And the, the coaching narrative there was kind of a fun one, too. So it, it really just depends on who's where and what the storyline is. I agree with that. I think, you know, for Oregon State, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention it's a third 10-win season in program history. Jonathan Smith is is building something special up there in Corvallis. They'll have a completed stadium uh, next year. They played in basically half a stadium this year because of the construction. Um, and now, you know, they're going to hit the trans or the recruiting trail hard, maybe the transfer portal hard as well. There's a legitimate reason to want to go play college football up in Corvallis. And I don't know if if that's lessened necessarily if they lose to Florida, but now, now that they've got 10 wins, now that they can claim that and say, hey, we were a legit contender in the Pac-12, look at the momentum that we have, look at what we're building towards. I agree. I think it is a little bit of a sliding scale where, yeah, if you choose to treat it like a practice that, hey, we get two weeks of practice leading up to this bowl game, and then you just basically treat that as what, the 12th practice or, or whatever you get during bowl prep, then sure, I, I guess you can excuse that away and Listen, there are going to be teams that are just naturally at a disadvantage when it comes to the transfer portal. Florida was one of them. They lost like eight guys in one day and were down to their third string quarterback because one of them declared for the NFL draft and the other one is in jail or should be in jail. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I mean, like, look, what's Napier supposed to do besides roll with the chess pieces that he has? Um but you just saw, actually, as we hit hit record, uh, a four-star running back chose Miami over Florida. He was supposed to be a Florida lock, Mark Fletcher. Um, so, you know, maybe some of the dominoes are stacked against Florida. They're they're falling against the Gators. And Billy Napier, I tell you what, uh, second losing season in a row for Florida. It's the like third losing season in the last 25 years. They're just not used to it down there in Gainesville. And now Napier, whether he likes it or not, is going to have that pressure turned up immensely here going into year two. So I think Garrett, a sliding scale is, is kind of the perfect way to describe it. Uh, we're going to get into bowl recaps as we keep going down and not anything super in-depth, but we do want to mention it. They are going on. And hey, if you got to got to watch some of those, awesome. There have been some really good football games. It's, it's all been super low yeah, scoring sure. outside of what uh, uh, Frank Gore Jr. did in the Lending Tree Bowl against poor Rice. Mike, Mike Bloomgren <laughs> in the squad. And they, five and seven, they get in on academic excellence into the postseason, and then they have to get dump-trucked by Frank Gore Jr. and his aunt. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little yeah. bit. But, Garrett, you put down a bunch of transfer portal updates, and I guess that's where we can move to next kind of the, in this roundtable uh, several updates from the Pacific Northwest. You've got updates from Oregon, from TCU. Take us through some of those. Yeah. So just kind of looking through the list, these are kind of news as of, I guess, Sunday night is when we're recording this. So, uh, first big one that caught my eye, it's not so much a transfer, but getting a guy to stay put Bo Nix is going to be staying at Oregon, which I think is a massive pickup. If you can call it that, I know, People talk about recruiting your own roster now with the transfer portal. Being able to get Bo Nix to stick around, not leave, or declare for the draft even after a pretty resurgent year for him, 
I think it's a huge step for Oregon to kind of repeating the success, helping Dan Lanning get some of that back for next year. Uh, they did lose Justin Flo, though. Justin Flo's heading to Arizona, which that caught my eye. I don't know if it caught you guys' eye. Um, I kind of thought he was going to like a bigger, maybe power immediate contributors type of program. Um, I thought maybe he was a USC lock. I wasn't 100% sure on that one. That's just kind of what felt right. Um, but I thought that one was kind of interesting. Uh, Aaron Anderson, the wide receiver at Alabama, former, I think, top 40 talent in the country, heading to LSU. Seems like LSU's putting together a bit of a juggernaut on offense over there. Maybe one of the best skill rooms in the SEC next year. Uh, uh, another former Bama wide receiver, JoJo Earl, heading over to TCU, though. Um, that's going to be big for them to replace guys like Quentin Johnston, obviously, you know, huge year for them this year. Quentin Johnson, massive part of it. And so, you know, getting another big time wide receiver uh, is going to be pretty big for them. And then uh, the former quarterback, Nick Evers at OU heading up to Wisconsin. You know, they're needing a quarterback. Obviously, they I think they lost their quarterback to the transfer portal. They were needing a new guy. So Fickle has a guy up there and then obviously loads of traffic sort of in the direction of Colorado right now. Um, not necessarily a lot of names that we would all recognize immediately, but a lot of guys either committing there or talking about going there. Um, maybe the least surprising, you know, transfer update would be that Deion Sanders kids said that he was officially transferring. And so I, you know, that's <laughs> in other news, water is wet. And so I, I don't know. It's just, it's not, not necessarily news there, but it, it did, you know, kind of pique the question is TCU maybe an annual contender now, a little bit of a transfer destination for a lot of guys after the success they had this year. Yeah, I mean, TCU, we've talked about this with a lot of teams, but that door is going to be slung wide open in the new Big 12 that's starting next year. So with the three teams coming in, and um, or four teams coming in, excuse me, and Texas and OU eventually leaving probably after next year, it seems like at this point, that door's wide open. So TCU absolutely coming off of this momentum from this year um, and moving into the future, I think, can kind of step into that role as the top dog in that conference. It's it's up for grabs for anybody, though, that wants to take it and wants to be the portal destination, the recruiting destination of that conference. Guys, I'm really excited about Nick Evers, though. I think that was a heck of a pickup by Phil Longo yep. and um, that offensive staff up at Wisconsin. I think he is perfect for that system. I think you can see him get a lot, some really similar numbers to what Drake May was putting up at North Carolina this year. I think he was the former number seven quarterback in his recruiting class. So definitely a talented kid. Obviously we haven't really gotten to see it yet, you know, but I think he's got plenty of tools that, you know, we can maybe see a little bit of that, uh, that like you were saying, the Phil Longo effect up there. Yeah. And that clears the way for Jackson Arnold to be QB two at Oklahoma. Of course, the standout at at Denton Geyer here in the state of Texas. Um, We'll actually throw this around. Maybe, maybe right here. Maybe it fits right now. Uh, Jojo Earl going to TCU, transferring from Alabama. Uh, here in the state of Texas, we just had the, the state championships go on at AT&T Stadium, home of the Cowboys. It is the biggest high school sporting event in the world, and a lot of people talk when they go there. And so I was there covering um, one of the teams there uh, in, the, uh, in the finale, and spent a lot of time just kind of listening to parents, listening to, to coaches that were sitting in the stands. And a lot of them were talking about some of these stars from the Texas high school football days, uh, essentially going back to an event like this, interacting with recruiters and interacting with scouts. 
and and deciding okay maybe they were thinking about transferring now now that they've gotten to talk to some other people on kind of an unofficial basis now they are really going to think about transferring even more after a bowl game or once you get into the true spring off season whether or not they transfer now or wait till after spring ball and those practices there's a lot of seeds of doubt being sown at some of these state championship games and so you know I I kind of want to know from you guys like do do we think that's a good thing do we do we think that's a little bit like the winter meetings in baseball where you know you go to a state championship game and oh you just kind of bump into a guy from this organization and a guy from that school and all of a sudden there's an nil package waiting for you in your twitter dms it seems a little little shady uh a little underhanded but i don't know how anyone stops it yeah i mean i think we've definitely seen coaches get disciplined for less than that um in the not too recent past uh but i don't know i don't know how you put a stop to that i mean it's two guys with possibly mutual interest bumping into each other at a football game i i don't know how you definitely put a stop to that or police that but in the world that we live in now it's so wide open there's so many other problems that you could focus on i don't know if that if that it leads to a couple of guys transferring then so be it i'm not really too worried about that yeah, look, realistically, we're going to pretend that rosters aren't getting recruited. Uh, are we going to pretend that there's not like, you know, staff at, you know, local area, like if it's a a region, you know, take like where we are right in the state of Texas. Are we going to act like, you know, teams like TCU, Texas, Texas A&M probably aren't calling around to see who might be interested and hey, I heard that guy up at Oklahoma was looking for some playing time. Well, here at TCU, we might be able to, you know, like, are we going to act like that's not happening? Come on, like it definitely this, is. This yeah, is definitely this is exactly the same thing, except you're just doing it in person. It's there's nothing really different about it besides the fact that maybe the guy that you run into wasn't really thinking about it, so you get to give it like a sales pitch. But they're still going to call your phone. It's just a means of technology at that point. Yeah, they already have each other's phone numbers from the initial recruiting process. Like it, it's nothing new. Yeah, it, it's a good point. It's a good point for sure. Just funny to hear I'd kind of wondered about that and then to literally hear parents coaches just having conversations like oh yeah so and so about yeah don't get me wrong it's it's blatant bold and out there and you got to think if if there was just you know the wrong person in the wrong place I'd go hold on a second what was that you know my I got a friend who works for this office for enforcement on stuff we're gonna go slap you with the but like nobody's really gonna get slapped with anything because the NCAA is I mean completely neutered at this point when it comes to what people are able to do and what people are able to get away with. So I, it's certainly bold. It's certainly interesting to overhear. Hey, they just, NCAA just hired the Massachusetts governor as their new president, a Republican in a heavily blue state. He's supposed to be the most popular governor ever elected. So maybe, maybe he brings some teeth um, back to the Just NCAA. like normal yeah. politicians, he's going to get loads done. And I'm sure that it's going to be a better place because a politician got involved. We'll see. Um, All right, well, let's move into bowl game recaps here. And so far, as of recording this, we've had the Bahamas Bowl, the Lending Tree Bowl, the Fenway Bowl, LA Bowl, New Mexico Bowl, Frisco Bowl, Cure Bowl, Las Vegas Bowl. Those are not in um, chronological order, just the way that we wrote them down. So, you know, we can discuss all of these. We can discuss some of these. Where do you guys want to go? Like, if there's one bowl game that that you guys really enjoyed watching, uh, which one was it and, and what did you find interesting there? 
So the one that I wanted to talk about the most on this was the Fenway Bowl. Um, look, obviously we had the whole restoring the rivalry for that bucket of nails or whatever they play for. Peg and nails, sir. <laughs> okay, that's different. Okay, totally different. Um, no, but I when we broke this one down, you know, we talked about how it was going to be interesting with both sidelines on the same side of the field and you know guys chirping back and forth. But I had mentioned a certain name, Jawar Jordan, maybe having to step up uh, in leave of certain other running backs. That's certainly what happened. So this game ends up going Louisville's way 24 to 7. Um, and Jawar Jordan scored two touchdowns of 40 plus. He had nine carries for 115 yards. And then the other running back, Maurice Turner, he had 31 carries for 160 yards. Ooh. that's a whole lot of touch on the football and just kind of, you know, a cloud of dust, so to speak. Cincinnati only had 138 yards of offense in this game, just complete domination on the Louisville side. And I think Mitch, we talked about this when we broke it down. A lot of times it just comes down to who wants to be there, right? Yeah. Which, which team wants to be in that game a little bit more. And it seemed like the Louisville players were taking it out on their former coach that decided to bolt and ditch them. So good job for the Cardinals. Happy for them to get the, get the win and a pretty, decisive way not necessarily an explosive score but that game was not close yeah jeff brom jeff brom's got to feel really good about what he's inheriting and and while he was doing that he's also been hitting the transfer portal super hard uh but yeah garrett i agree like cincinnati that football performance was as bad as skyline chili like that was just really really tough to watch um sorry cincinnati fans if that offends you but it's not good. So anyway, Trey, Trey, over to you. No, yeah, Cincinnati just didn't look like they wanted to be there at all. And I, I don't they know didn't. how you want to be. I know it's probably pretty cool to play at Fenway. I don't know how many of those guys are big baseball fans, but playing in an iconic <laughs> stadium like that is pretty cool. But playing at 11 a.m. local time in December, probably not the most motivating uh, factor. So um, Cincinnati definitely looked like they didn't want to be there. Though. Yeah, uh, I like you said, I... Oof. Tough game to get really motivated to play well for, uh, but uh, Louisville Louisville took care of business, so good for them. Yeah, I was going to say, can we also talk real quick about the New Mexico Bowl and the absolute oh garbage God. that happened at the end of that one? I know, Trey, you had some feelings about that one when we got to talk about it last night. I have uh, some... Go strong, ahead and weigh in on how that game ends. I have some strong feelings about the closing sequence for our SMU ponies, but um, I mean, it was an entertaining game. I definitely didn't expect BYU to be you know, as competitive as they were, let alone win the game without Jaron Hall. Because, uh, yeah, like when you're in a situation with a backup quarterback going up an explosive, going up against an explosive offense like SMU, like give me the explosive offense all day long. And I was kind of surprised yeah. that they were only like a four or five point favorite in this one. But BYU just had a stifling defense for the whole game until the fourth quarter. They were up, I think, 24 to 10 or something like that going into the fourth quarter. SMU rallied, scored what could have been the tying touchdown um, with like eight seconds left or something like that. Really nice touchdown catch um, in the back of the end zone. And I'm not mad that SMU went for two. I think that's an awesome move. You know, it's a bowl game. Can't like, like they say in the water boy, it's the last game of the season. Can't hold anything back now. But um, the way that they went for two, they line up. In a bunch formation, they send three guys, and then they go into motion. They send quads to the bottom of the screen, empty out the backfield, send a single high person to the top. And BYU immediately calls a timeout because they're like, oh, this is a weird formation. We don't want to try to run against this. So they run back out there after the timeout. SMU does the exact same thing, and BYU calls another timeout. 
And rather than drawing up a new play, SMU goes back out there, <laughs> does the exact same thing. So oh BYU has gotten two chances to tell their players, hey, if they go into quads at the bottom and a single high at the top, here's what we want you to do. And so SMU, rather than coming up with a new play, runs the same play, goes out in the motion. No one is surprised, other than maybe being surprised that they did it again. Yep. And the play is a QB draw with Tanner Mordecai, who looked like he had never run a QB draw in his life. It was just the it was worst executed quarterback <laughs> draw I've ever seen. So, And it was like weirdly delayed, game. too. Yeah, it, it, he, he looked he like he maybe got the signals mixed up. Yeah, just froze for a little <sighs> bit and tried to take off, and he was already tackled. So really I had to execution see, by the I had Mustangs. I had to see that play in highlights after I got off the air myself and, you know, had seen some barking back and forth from SMU Twitter personalities that I follow. And so it was like, all right, what on earth happened here? And then to see exactly how you just described. Yeah. The only people that were surprised that SMU ran that play, or at least put the motion in, in play for the third straight time was SMU fans. Yeah. Like, you know, literally their reaction was, what are we doing? How is Rhett Lashley, this offensive mastermind, only have one two-point play call, two point play call Seriously. in his book? And then it's a quarterback sneak where Tanner Mordecai literally looked like, are we doing this? Like, oh, okay, it, it, it's, it's me. Like, <laughs> he, it's my line. He did not look motivated. It looked like he was expecting another point. timeout to come. He's like, oh, I guess I got to snap the ball now. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah. So I, I did want to before we kind of move on from bowl games, I wanted to you know shout out a couple of big performances before we left. Jake Hayner for Fresno State had a very good game, but I wanted to key in on Jordan Mims, the running back for Fresno State. He ends up with over 200 yards and two touchdowns in that game. Huge day for him. And then obviously we alluded to it off the top, but Frank Gore, I mean, come on. It, apparently he's not the only one in the family that plays football. Frank Gore Jr., I mean, just a massive day for him. I was looking it up. 21 carries, 329 yards, two touchdowns. That's just disgusting. That should be illegal. You shouldn't be allowed to do that at the collegiate level. I hope you had him on your fantasy team because that's that's a big day for the kids. So good job to a couple of running backs. I know they don't necessarily get as much love in today's football. It's pass happy, spread it out. But good job to a couple of these runners for getting it done. I know we talked about... Uh, the Las Vegas Bowl already. Trey, you and I kind of had to commiserate over the Cure Bowl that did not go the way that we were hoping it would. Um, Shout out to all our UTSA fans. They loved our written preview. Apparently calling UTSA the Fighting Meeps was something that (laughs) amused the greater 210. So, you know, uh, glad y'all liked the way I phrased that. I think we're going to continue to refer to UTSA as the Fighting Meeps. So welcome all fans of the Triangle of Toughness. But 18 to 12. Now, Troy had a top 20 defense going in. UTSA had a top five offense going in. We knew that neither side was probably going to perform up to expectations, just considering it is the bowl season and weird things happen. I didn't count on the fact that the weird element would be UTSA scoring 12 points in this game and looking like they'd never thrown a forward pass successfully in their life. Yeah, it was just a really rough game all around for the uh, the Fighting Meeps offense. Um, Frank Harris got hurt in this one in the first half and never really looked the same throughout. Um, I saw some guys calling him out on Twitter for maybe, I, it was literally like going to get a milkshake the night before 
and that that was just the dumbest thing that get I over yourself yeah seriously like yeah and don't have time to go on a rant about that but <laughs> sad, it was a sad performance for utsa i'll say that i the defense really showed up they held troy to only 18 points and i thought that the offense would be enough to kind of carry carry the load there even the, against a really solid troy defensive unit but few turnovers, some questionable play calls down the stretch, um, especially on their last uh, fourth down effort to get, try to get the go-ahead touchdown. Um, yeah, didn't like. I didn't like a couple of the play calls on fourth down, but it is what it is. Another tough bowl loss for UTSA, but Jeff Trailer still absolutely has things moving in the right direction. Yeah, I think Frank Harris wasn't himself after coming back. He tried to get it out, and all props to him, like no issues trying to come back and help your team win. The issue, I'll throw a couple numbers at you guys. Gunnar Watson for Troy completed 13 passes. Um, Still out past him in terms of passer rating, yards per attempt, uh, completion percentage. Just, it's a rough day when you see that. Um, I I think, again, not Frank Harris's fault on this one by any means. You know, you get hurt, you come back, you try to get it out. Just, it wasn't him. The big number to me here five turnovers for UTSA. Troy did turn it over three times with five turnovers. You can't turn the ball over five times and expect to win. You might get lucky and accidentally squeak one out, but you can't expect to win with five turnovers. No, no, you can't. So a sad way that UTSA's season comes to an end. But but going back to what we talked about earlier, I think the bowl momentum is kind of what you make of it. And it's so clear that UTSA is headed in a, in a really, really solid direction. I mean, heck, if they can get David Amador from North Shore, their quarterback, I mean, shout out you, kid. Um, I can't believe UTSA is his only, I think it's his only Division One offer. Dude's a gamer. Dude's yeah. a winner. Pressed into service in week five. Was a 1,000-yard receiver the, week, or the year before uh, on a state title team. Pressed into service as the emergency quarterback in week five when Caleb Bailey goes down with an ACL. And he quarterbacked that team to a 15-0 and record before running into Duncanville in the state title and fell by literally a matter of inches away from picking up a first down and, and having a chance to tie that game late in the red zone. So, you know, getting getting winners, athletes like David Amador, big, big step in the right direction for UTSA. And, hey, eventually those three stars turn into four stars, and then you never know what they're going to be able to do in the new American. Yeah. I was going to say, I hope Amador sticks around with them. I kind of have a feeling he's going to get poached after his performance and kind of getting put up on the, on the big display with the, with the state championships and everything. I can't imagine that there's not another team in the state of Texas that doesn't offer him. I'd look out for guys like TCU guys, like maybe even A&M who I don't think has a quarterback committed at the moment for this class. I wouldn't be shocked to see him, you know, come in there and try to swoop in and steal you know, a guy like Commodore, who's plenty talented, and I hope he gets the best opportunity. If it's in, you know, San Antonio, then I hope the best for him. I hope that he can go win there. Well, he won't go in. He won't go as a quarterback. He'll be a wide receiver. That's sure, that's sure. definitely his natural position. But yeah, I, I think he should absolutely get some more looks. Uh, kid, kid finds a way to win, and it's impressive. He's good. Um. All right. So we've answered two questions from listeners already. Uh, we talked about TCU whether or not they're an annual contender. We talked about do bowl games actually matter. Uh, one last question from a listener here in this episode, and this one hits hits a little close to home. How is the 3Tech team feeling about Texas A&M with so many guys in the portal? I believe the number is 26, uh, basically a third of the roster. It's a whole bunch. That has is, is gone and departed. Um, yeah, I, 
I'll kick this to you guys. Like, how how are we feeling about about dear old Texas A and M? I will say, just to set the stage, recruiting. Uh, what's what's the line? Um, the rumors of of my demise have been greatly exaggerated. A and M is. You know, just got Ruben Owens to commit. They've they've got a lot cooking for them actually to close out the early signing day period, uh, and then they're supposedly about to make some big news in the transfer portal as well. But with all of that said, twenty six guys in the portal—that's a lot. Yeah, the, to answer the original question, it's not great, Bob. Um, it's not great, Bob. Yeah, the depth is going to be hurting. Like it, a lot of these are coming from seems like the same position cornerback and linebacker and the depth is going to be razor thin at those positions and you really can't feel good going into a season with the depth that it looks like Texas A&M is going to have at cornerback and linebacker but like you said there is a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel it seems like the transfer portal they're leading for a couple guys like Tony Grimes and um, I think uh, a linebacker from Oklahoma State and it looks like that could kind of come in and plug some holes and much, much needed. But you, you hate to be in a position where you need to pluck those guys from the portal. You'd much rather just be with the guys that um, got you there. But if they're, if you are looking for a positive for AM and their portal situation, a lot of these guys were not starters. They weren't guys that they were going to rely on as starters. But the depth is a huge, huge concern. Yeah, and the other big note is a bunch of those guys are not guys that are coming out of that freshman class. I know that there were several that had suspension issues through the season and weren't technically enrolled in the university. Um, And so, you know, they transfer out. That's expected when you're kicked out of school. Um, There's a couple that I think left from that freshman class, but most of that class has stayed together, especially some of those key contributors that we saw this year. Guys like Connor Wigman, Evan Stewart was widely rumored to be a target for a lot of other teams. Um, you know, I'm thinking guys like Shamar Stewart as well could have gone back to, you know, Miami. There are a lot of people begging him to come back as well. Walter Nolan even could have head off to, you know, Tennessee and, you know, gone and been back there. But the majority of the core has stuck together in terms of the freshman class. That's the big thing everyone's saying is, oh, that freshman class, they left like we expected. Not really. I mean, yes, some of them have, but not really, not the core, not the guys who are contributing at the end of the season. And, and to your point, Trey, I mean, the transfer portal, it works both ways, right? And I think that AM is going to have to hit the portal in this situation. Um, I think that they're going to have to go through and, you know, get a lot of guys. You mentioned Tony Grimes. I think you also mentioned uh, Mason Cobb, the Oklahoma State linebacker, who is looking. I think it's between them and USC right now. Um, but they're going to have to hit that position, especially the linebacker position, pretty hard because at the moment, I think they've got Ed Cooper and maybe some also Rans. Um, and so I. I it's going to be a rough scene to see how they put it together. But at the end of the day, you can say Jimbo does certain things well, certain things not so well. Recruiting is something he does well, right? He prides himself in recruiting and selling a vision, getting guys to show up to his program. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think that he's going to be in a spot where he's going to get beat for a lot of guys down the stretch. He's going to be able to sell playing time. He's going to be able to sell a big program. And I think that's going to end up working with some guys. We'll see how it plays out. He's still going to go find the guys. Hopefully there's guys for him who, you know, are are good targets and good talents, you know, but it's certainly not great that there's this many transferring out, right? I just, I think that everyone needs to take a step back and realize this is the way it's going to go, especially at the more talent rich programs. Alabama's got a lot of guys out in the portal as well. Some of them are more key contributors than guys that A&M had. Um, And so, 
I just think to to want to go doom and gloom and say the sky is falling, I think is a little premature at this point. Yeah, I think I think the the roster turnover is not unique to A and M. Um, it is concerning to see depth guys that now with graduation, with some uh, guys leaving for the draft, had easy paths to playing time. I do think it's concerning sure. to see them leave, especially in the secondary. But yeah, I mean, there, there's still a lot of work to be done before early signing day, before the late signing period in February, uh, as well as work in the transfer portal. So yeah, to answer the question, not feeling amazing about seeing that departure, especially after the momentum that they accrued, but it is what it is. All right, let's finish up this episode with some opt-outs, some bowl news, mostly guys declaring for the draft. And guys, let's start with Max Duggan. No surprise here. He declares for the draft. He is going to play in the playoff game against Michigan. Do we think that Max Duggan's an NFL quarterback? I mean, I think he'll find a spot on a roster. I I think, I don't know that he'll get drafted, but I think he'll definitely find a spot on a roster, right? You see some of the guys that, or earning paychecks in the NFL at quarterback, I would take Max Duggan over some of those guys. Yeah, he's plenty competitive is the big thing. He's got that, you know, whatever that is, the X factor in a quarterback, the the ability to keep a play alive, you know, know what to do when he's, you know, running towards the sideline, running out of room. He just kind of has some intangibles that I think would be valuable to, you know, maybe some teams who are like, yeah, let's get him in here and, you know, let him sort of refine his skills for a little bit at the minimum of practice squad. So you know, I, I think he's plenty fine. I think he could succeed in the NFL. <clears throat> Sorry. I think he could succeed in the NFL. Just think it's going to be a path to, to get there. And it's not necessarily the easiest path as some of these more polished pro prospects. Uh, big opt outs. Let's just run down this list. Jalen Hyatt, Cedric Tillman, both opting out for Tennessee uh, in the orange bowl. They will not play there. Will Levis opts out. Chris Rodriguez opts out for Kentucky. They won't play in their bowl game. Will Levis, guys, I I continue to see him projected to go in the top 10, and he keeps being named to the Falcons on like Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay. I I don't pretend to be a draft expert. I'm going to create a lot of draft content for us come the spring. I don't uh, pretend to be an expert. I think that might be the worst draft pick in NFL history. If you take Mr. Mayo coffee in the top 10, what am I missing? Like, what did he show us this year that says, heck yeah, let me turn around the Atlanta Falcons. You're not missing anything. I, I think he he has a lot of sort of pieces that I think teams are falling in love with. And they think he's going to be a, a, a Josh Allen, Carson Wentz type, right? where, you know, he's a guy that you can coach up, he's, you know, physical, and he's got a big arm. And, you know, I, I think guys fall in love with that at times. And I think that's a thing that I think a lot of NFL teams probably will mess up because for every Josh Allen, you got, you know, probably 10 guys whose names we've forgotten because they're out the league already. Um, uh, can you imagine the Falcons drafting him, though? Just rest in peace to your franchise as a Falcons organization. If you say that in back-to-back drafts, you're like, hey, we got two quarterbacks from big-time programs, back-to-back drafts. Falcons would be like, all right, well, we finally found our quarterback of the future. They're like, and it's Desmond Ritter and Will Levis. Like, <laughs> what a freaking terrible decision for a franchise, I think. Like, there's plenty of good prospects on the board that early. Take a pass rusher. Take a receiver. Right? Take somebody who can help the guys you got in town right now. I don't know. I just, I don't get it. 
Hey, Desmond Ritter almost won his NFL debut today, sir. So, oh, Falcons, sure. Falcons fumbled that away, only a way that Atlanta could. Um, Namarcus Overshone opts out of the Alamo Bowl for Texas. Bijan Robinson, Roshan Johnson, obviously two of the best backs in the country, also expected to opt out. Dalton Kincaid, standout tight end at Utah, and uh, Tiffany, uh, t- <laughs> can't get that out. <laughs> I, I'm not even like no, my tongue doesn't Tavian want to say that. Thomas, yes. Tavian. Uh, sorry about that. Tavian all good, all Thomas. Good. Both opting out of the Rose Bowl. Uh, you know, injury concerns with, with both those guys. They've been banged up all season, so really not faulting them there. I remember when ESPN broke this news because they did it so sarcastically. Bryce Young and Will Anderson will opt in to the Sugar Bowl as if, you know, playing for your team in a New Year's Six Bowl game is is something that, oh, it should be should be a surprise that you're showing up. But, <laughs> you know, at this point, Bryce Young could be the first overall pick. And honestly, Will Anderson could go number two right behind him. So in that sense, it is a little surprising. With Young and Anderson playing for Alabama, does Kansas State have a prayer in this game? Because uh, Chris Kleiman joked that they're, they're – reward for making it as the big 12 champs was now we get to play a pissed off Nick Saban. Yeah. I, uh, I, I don't know if my money wasn't already on Alabama. <laughs> I think it's definitely on there now. Um, Kate, look, K state could definitely give them a run for their money. They could control the ball game with Deuce Vaughn. Alabama has been susceptible to big plays on the ground this year. So it's not a 0% chance for Kansas state, but I'd say the chances went from slim to much closer to none. I mean, let let me make the case in favor of Kansas State. They're more physical than you'd expect them to be up front. They, you know, they have a couple of really, really talented and really strong guys that kind of clog up those lines of scrimmage. So I don't think they're going to get pushed around in any sense. I think that's the thing that we would expect. Oh, Alabama's coming in against a Big 12 team. I don't think they're going to get pushed around. I also don't think that they're, you know, they're role players, the, the guys like, you know, the 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 receivers on the outside. I don't think that they're necessarily good enough, but their stars are good enough to play here. Will Howard is a good quarterback. He's a very good quarterback. He's very talented. He's got a great arm. He can make the throws on the field. And Deuce Vaughn is still one of the best playmakers in the country. I mean, as long as you got Deuce Vaughn on your team, you like where you stand. That being said, it, it's much slimmer than it was going into this game. Obviously, I had a question about this for you guys though. Because I was thinking about this situation. Obviously, Max Duggan, he's playing in the playoff. We just talked about Bryce Young, Will Anderson. They're opting in for this one. But there's a lot of guys opting out of sort of situations for, you know, a New Year's Six Bowl game, right? I'm thinking guys like Jalen Hyatt opting out of the Orange Bowl. You got Kincaid and Thomas. They're opting out of the Rose Bowl. You know, I, I was kind of thinking about this in terms of what it means for, like, expansion, that New Year's Six Bowls are getting opt out of. And does this kind of make a good argument for expansion. I don't know what you guys think on that, but I was starting to think that might actually help with the expansion conversation. Cause obviously we're pro expansion on this pod. I think this helps make the case that yeah, some of these guys probably opt in if they're in Duggan's position. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I think you're way less likely to see a guy opt out of a playoff game than the Rose bowl when it's not, you know, playing for anything meaningful. Yeah. The Rose bowl is meaningful. Um, for other reasons, but it's a business decision at this point. And if you're not competing for a championship at that point, a lot of these guys, and I, I think rightfully so, feel like they've fulfilled their obligation to their school. And now they're looking forward to making sure that they are in the best position for themselves to make money in the long run. 
Yeah, I agree with that. All right, guys. Well, let's wrap it here. And just a programming announcement on the midweek episode. We'll have kind of a Christmas special. Trey came up with an idea of giving Christmas gifts to various college football programs around the country, and I love that idea. So I think that's exactly what we're going to do before everyone celebrates the Christmas holiday. Afterwards, though, we're going to take our first break of the entire season. Since early May, we have not missed an upload. We've gone twice a week, every single week through the off season and then obviously through the college football season. But we're going to take uh, one episode off to celebrate Christmas with our families, to just kind of re- relax and, and rest. And then we'll be back the week following to preview the playoffs and the New Year's Six Bowls as well. So just be um, aware of that, paying attention to that. But of course, the content continues to roll out on our YouTube channel. Uh, we're about to get off this and record a bunch more bowl previews. So if you would like to continue to dive into those and hear specifically about matchups, head on over to YouTube at 3TechPod. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter as well. We tweet out the clips and we tweet out the written previews of all of those bowl games as well. For Trey Reeves and Garrett Turney, I'm Mitch Mason. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time, so long, everybody. (laughs) 